This film is presented in a 4-3 format to preserve the integrity of Zack Snyder's creative vision and is dedicated to the brave Mujahideen fighters of Afghanistan. And welcome to this supplemental reading of 2020, 2015, 2021's Justice League, directed this time by Zack Snyder. Uh, My name, of course, is John. And I'm interrupting Henry. Interrupting Henry, good old I-H. This is a zero-credit supplemental reading, Uh, so we warn you this time, as always, that these are presented assuming that you've seen the film or you don't care, so we will discuss it in its entirety, uh, including spoilers, uh, since this is kind of like a cultural phenomenon-y thing, maybe go watch it yourself, but it's four hours long. Who has the time? Who has the time to watch this movie twice in two days? Yes, who has the time to dedicate an, a shift's worth of work to watch this movie? I, I told some friends that I'd seen it twice in two days, and their immediate response was to ask if I was okay. I mean, I, I think that that's fair. If if someone told me that they did anything for eight hours, I would ask if they were okay. Worked? Slept? <laughs> are you okay are you getting enough sleep are you are I you getting rest. too little sleep um anyway henry digresses the snyder cut a, a movie uh four years in the making a social media campaign rabid fan base a lot of problematic things on that internet uh, all resulting in wb caving and saying well fine i guess we have this streaming service called hbo max why don't you release your little pet project on there? Yeah, why don't you just take all this $70 million and give us the creative vision that the world was robbed of by the whole Joss Whedon thing? Right. The Snyder Cut, a movie whose director, or I guess in this case, directing editor, uh, Zack Schneider, took no paycheck in order to not have any sort of fight with executives that that now is coming to light. He had to to compromise with executives, even though he didn't take a paycheck. So, like, what was the point? Oh, I I had no idea about that. Maybe we can get into that... uh... Maybe we can get into that later, or maybe we That'll can get be, into it now. If I don't we get know. into it, if we get into it, John, it would be literally the last thing to cover because it has it, it only comes in on the very end. Okay, then I think that we can safely cover it to the end. Speaking of the, the linearity of time, uh, I think that this movie, uh, more than any other movie, is a movie designed for podcasters uh, because it's uh, directed by a white man. Uh, no, uh, it is a movie designed. <laughs> Jesus for, it is a movie designed for podcasters because it is broken up not into one, not into two, not even into four parts, but six, kind of seven parts, uh, each with a lot going on. Uh, echoes definitely of the promised mini series we would receive, except the parts don't really line up with the amount of parts we were supposed to get. Uh, but so, it's in parts. Th- this is the this is what I think happened. Um, Zack Schneider, knowing that people would find it hard to sit through a, f- a four hour movie, decided to break his movie up into digestible parts and maybe mention that to someone who then passed it on 
down the line, and suddenly the rumors started that this was going to be a miniseries, which Snyder tried to walk back, but people still sort of look forward to the, the parts, and now we're realizing that it's just arbitrarily sliced up into six six parts, but those are six numbered parts with uh, a couple of unnumbered parts mixed in. <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple of unnumbered parts mixed in. Now, I think that we definitely fell for the hype of the many, many parts. Uh, however, Zack Snyder really never said that that would be the case. Uh, but I guess if you wanted to, I don't know that there's much room to talk about the the Snyder Cut much more from a production uh, or a mythology standpoint than we already have. So we could just get into the movie if you wanted to. Um, let me think. I think all of my other sort of tidbits are directly related to the movie or after the movie. So I guess there's nothing left to do uh, than to continue my long-winded introduction and say the Snyder Cut, a movie who, upon starting, I had the passing thought, Zack Snyder never saw this movie, and there's been a lot of hype built up around it. What if... By some miracle, he just recreated the theatrical <laughs> cut. What if somehow, given $70 million, he just redid everything Joss Whedon did? Right. Well, what What if... What if... <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let's get into the movie. Let's get into talking about the... the just... the 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 meat of this sandwich uh yes i think first we will encounter the the bread i guess i guess no for... it is an open face sandwich <laughs> yes the ending is definitely the bread uh <laughs> now uh now part one of the snyder cut uh of justice league uh opens with something that i don't often say this but is uh, an iconic moment in movie history, especially in the year 2021. Uh, it opens, as I alluded to earlier, by saying that the film is presented in a 4-3 format, the frame format, uh, to preserve the integrity of Zack Snyder's vision. Typically speaking, when a movie is in a non-standard formatting, usually it's in like ultra-wide, like CinemaScope, and it right. has... Uh, like that's a pretty I, common choice that directors will make. I think the guy who did the Revenant might have done that a couple times. So here comes my first tidbit of the night. Um, the four three format uh, was preserved in order for this film to one day be shown in IMAX theaters. Are IMAX are IMAX screens four three? I don't know. Interesting. I always imagined that IMAX screens would be. Uh, similar in dimension to every other screen, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Would it, like reach up to the ceiling? Uh, I, I guess. Um, all I know is I had to adjust the settings on my television so that the screen was a little bit more zoomed in because I could barely see anything. Uh, so you know, definitely uh, from the start, that saying that's presented in four three means that people did not mess with his creative vision that much because what a what a baller move i had no idea about the imax thing i just thought Zack snyder was a deviant because in my mind if you're shooting something or presenting something in four three it's not to show it on imax 
Uh, it's to show it on like a like a Sanyo tube TV from like <laughs> 1997. Right. It, it's to preserve the format of the CRT TV. Now that those were computers, but yeah, the uh, the <laughs> the little Mitsubishi television VHS deck combination that is sitting in my childhood home. You know, TVs that go vom when you turn them <laughs> off. And yeah, yeah. The hum and the static cling, which is to say this movie is uh, there's some artistic choices being made from the get go. Yeah, definitely artistic choices being made from the get go. I think what you and I were maybe most interested in was seeing where this creative vision kind of uh, differentiated from Joss Whedon's. And I think it differentiates itself almost immediately in that we don't have a weird uh, vertical phone video of weird Henry Cavill. Saying the way he loves the world. Uh, But instead, it's this like super dramatic, weird, uh, entirely slow motion uh, scene of Superman dying and doing this like ululating scream that awakens boxes. Yeah, so the word overlong might pop into some people's minds. Um, But yes, uh, whereas... Whedon started his movie with an ADR kid asking kids or kids asking questions to Superman. Uh, Zack Snyder wanted to remind everyone that the, at the end of Batman versus Superman, Superman died. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. This movie, arguably, considering Superman died in the previous movie, pro- probably should have been kind of about that in the theatrical cut. Kind of a big deal. You might think it would pop up one or two times. Um, but yeah, Superman Scream, the superhero, superhero, super powered scream echoes throughout the world and wakes up a mother box or two, maybe three. And, uh, but the point is the world feels this scream. Um, and one thing I want to point out is that. Whereas in the theatrical cut, we're we're yanked to all these different set pieces seemingly uh, by the whims of a mad god, uh, Snyder introduces all of our locales in the opening sequence. We see underwater Atlantis in that box. We see Thermoscara in their box. We see pretty much all of the places that we're going to see throughout the movie in this one – two-minute slow-mo scream. Yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing about this movie, I hadn't thought of the, about that, but if you compare it to the theatrical cut, uh, regardless of any criticisms we might have about the movie while we talk about it, it's infinitely better at telling the story than the movie that ended up in theaters. Like, it laboriously and clearly tells you what's happening, shows you what's happening uh, with some notable exceptions, in a way that the theatrical version does not at all. Yeah, absolutely. Like the theatrical cut, a word that comes to mind is like disjointed, whereas the Snyder cut, Snyder cut is is definitely double or triple jointed. Like everything is explained, starting out with the scene, the, the, this opening sequence, which kind of is like a previously on slash flash forward a little bit. It's reminding you of what happened and foreshadowing what's to come and also laying out a very uh, a very complex timeline 
Because we see Cyborg in this opening shot, and he's already been cyborged up. Yeah, he, he's already been borged. I think the biggest thing that really stuck out to me stood out to me is you and I, and I think we we're going to admit this a couple times over the course of this episode. Uh, totally wrong about a Joss Whedon choice versus a Snyder choice within the first yeah. ten minutes of the movie. Completely wrong. Like we were so. So yeah. certain. No, no. And yeah, we were so certain that the uh, the slow-mo montage at the beginning of the theatrical cut was like a slash of uh, slice of life thing showing what life without Superman was like. Turns out that that was a Joss Whedon ad and had nothing to do with the Snyder cut. Yeah, it, it was absolutely a Joss Whedon thing. The Snyder cut instead uh, chose to just show Superman dying in slow motion, which I guess isn't uh, less sad. Uh, but yeah, it really, I, I, we had assumed from the like kind of Watchmen movie vibes, the times they are a change in kind of thing that that would be a Snyder choice. Uh, right. when indeed it was, uh, it was a, it was a Whedon. They did a Whedon. And they did a Whedon. And, um, the good thing, the good implication about the 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 absence of that montage is that uh, racism was not caused by Superman's <laughs> yes. death. Thankfully, racism was not caused. Superman's death, we can all admit, caused a lot of problems. It caused a long-haired Lex Luthor uh, to look at a demon. Uh, it caused some boxes. <laughs> it caused some boxes to jiggle. Uh, so it was pretty bad, but it didn't thankfully cause racism. Right. That was a Joss Whedon ad. <laughs> yes. Uh, so good on Zack Snyder for not immediately uh, tying it to racism. And then I think the, I don't know, Aquaman being first threw me for a loop. I, I, I don't know. The longer I get away from the theatrical cut, I don't remember the sequencing, but I think that, uh, that Bruce going oh, yeah. to see Arthur being first. Also, just to, just to back up and talk about how strongly this movie shows things, Literally, the theatrical cut was Batman fights a demon, explains to a very curious robber that demons have been showing up all over the place. And then the demon explodes. And for some reason, when the demons explode, they leave behind clues about the mother boxes, <laughs> which I didn't mention when we talked about the movie the first time. But that's the stupidest thing <laughs> That is the, it's the stupidest yeah. way to explain the plot, but it's also the stupidest device used to explain the plot. Instead, it literally just shows you Superman died and it woke these boxes up. Done. No one has to tell you about it right. kind of until later. Uh, and this and movie then, does, it, it does an interesting combo because this movie shows and then pretty, pretty blatantly also tells. Right. Um, but yeah, so we get Superman death scene. Then part one, don't count on it, Batman. Fate, you know, fading to black and and fading back into this long, overly long, um, just sequence of sweeping land shots of the ice and the snow, which led me for a minute just going, no, this isn't where we're starting, right? This can't be where we're starting. And then showing a man on a horse and like, well, that's going to be Batman. How, why are we starting here? This is so weird. And then uh, my my good wife, 
the good wife, Jamie, uh-huh. pointed out to me that uh, all these sweeping land shots of mountains and snow, they were setting up an epic journey feel, a la Lord of the Rings. Meaning we're we're moving away from straight up superhero movie. This is going to be an epic. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a classic cinematographic trick. Moving across mountains indicates that you've been uh, you're you're about to see the results of travel. Right, right. And, and we do start out with Aquaman and, and that small Icelandic town. Meaning, yeah, that entire rooftop scene with Batman. And that comically stupid robber was all 100% a Joss Whedon ad. And like, thank God, because I made a statement on this podcast that there's no way Batman would leave a criminal unpunished. And I was sweating bullets throughout this movie to be proven right. Yeah, I mean, this is like post-Robin death Batman. So we'd like cut a cut a criminal's head off. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he tried to murder that guy. Yeah, he'd just drop him. Also cut from the film is the uh, the notion that the parademons are attracted to fear. Oh, you mean the thing that is mentioned once at the beginning of the movie? And then I know that this isn't the space for us to just shit on the theatrical cut again. But the right. fact that that was mentioned once at the beginning of the movie and then was the resolution to the ultimate conflict. Unbelievable. Right. But yeah, so now we're in this Icelandic town. With with Bruce Wayne meeting with this town trying to meet the Aquaman. And the scene plays out a little the same, but a lot different. Yeah, it, it's like what Joss Whedon did was he got his poisonous little fingers on it. And he saw every opportunity to, like, add a quip or a bit or a zinger or, like, an awkward look or an right. aqu- Aquaman. Uh, he took every opportunity... To just like poison scene. So you end up with this like scene that is not completely devoid of characters laughing or having jokes, but is like on the whole uh, immensely more believable and serious. And it lets the entire cast who are present in the film shine. Like the Snyder cut plays so much into not just these, these characters from DC, but also the the patriarch of this small village town gets lines and jokes and has a character like the, he gets to live so much more on the screen and all the people around him also have more of a life outside of just these two other superheroes talking there's just so much more detail to the side characters in the Snyder cut compared to the theatrical cut um but for the most part you're right like a lot of jokes are cut in favor of explaining character motivations and, and characterizing our main cast. And it almost feels like, uh, as an interesting like cultural study, one could look at the edit, the theatrical cut of this, as like a critique of the source material. Because like when Arthur Curry and Bruce Wayne are talking. Arthur Curry has a throwaway line where he's like, and you mean you do it all dressed as a bat? Because in this movie, as in the theatrical cut, Bruce Wayne does nothing to hide his uh, secret identity whatsoever. Absolutely not. Yeah. There's no... Unchanged. An entire Icelandic town knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Um, They they might not know because they don't speak English, but I mean, come on. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. Uh, but he has like a throwaway line where he's like, you do it all dressed as a bat. But that was like a, a it, I don't want to call it like a witty repartee, but like a shitty repartee uh, that like echoed through the movie because Joss Whedon loves a callback. It's the highest form of humor. Uh, but there was a moment where Aquaman says, strongest man is strongest alone, whatever. Right. Uh, and and in the Joss Whedon cut, Bruce Wayne's response is, that's not a saying. But in this, in the Snyder cut, his, uh, his response is, ever heard of Superman? He died standing right next to me, which is so much better and darker. Yeah, it's, it's way better, way darker. It's not like a fun, oh, they fly now? Uh, it's, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not it, they it's fly not, now shit. It, it's not a quip, but it's an actual human response, and it plays right into Batman's motivations. Like, I had the strongest man in existence as an ally, and we still almost barely won. I'm going to need allies. You need to help me. And, of course, Aquaman's motivation right now is that, no, he's he's shirking all responsibility and duties. So he's like, that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, Batman is the weak link. <laughs> I mean, the the interesting thing about this movie is there there are parts of humor, but it's on the whole a lit uh, in some ways literally a mournful affair. Like people are not there to have fun for the most part. Yeah, starting out with Superman's death cast a pall over a lot of the actions in this movie. And then following up that with a choir of villagers singing at the departure of oh, their dude, I have so visiting much to say spirit. About that. I have so much to say about that. I, I can only draw parallels to the deification of superheroes. Like this is their 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 village spirit who they're singing up to and, and to honor him. But we stay with them for like three minutes. So please give me your thoughts. I think that this is Zack Snyder's like thesis statement. Like he has said in interviews routinely, like he wants to portray characters in his version of this universe as godlike. Like he he wants them to to appear to be like above mortal concerns and for people to treat them like gods, which makes this franchise unmarketable. But this is him definitively saying these characters are singing a hymn to Aquaman, probably because they have like tradition surrounding the Atlanteans and such that they lack a skepticism that would keep them from revering them as what they are, which is gods. So this is like a a group of characters singing beautifully and a long lingering somber cut singing a hymn to a God. Uh, and, And that echoes throughout the movie. Like every as the movie continues, like these characters are like above and better than people. Like there's, there's no effort to humanize these, these characters. Well, one or two of them. Sure. But your principal ones, your Batman's, your Wonder Woman's, your Aquaman's and your Superman's are gods. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Your, Your human through lines in the superhero front, uh, come in way, way later. So we can't talk about them now. But hey, what a, what a way to learn that uh, Martha Kent's farm has been foreclosed uh, than showing her driving away from the farm and a sign that says foreclosed. You know, I had some issues with that. I thought a better way 
to explain that would be maybe, I don't know, 75% of the way through a movie standing in a weird CGI cornfield. <laughs> uh, maybe say one line about it. I thought that maybe that would be a better way uh, to to communicate that. Uh, I, I don't know. I think this movie is fascinating because for everything it shows, it shows laboriously. And for everything it tells, it tells explicitly. Um, yeah. One thing you could say about Zack Snyder, uh, he has a singular artistic vision that resonates with a lot of people because his movies are idiot proof. Uh, his movies are very, very explicit, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, it's something I've made fun of for, fun of him in the past for um my my go-to example being the opening credit sequence of Batman versus Superman showing the pearls falling, which is an allusion to the death of Batman's parents in the alleyway. And then at the climax, the emotional climax of that movie, we get a flashback of those pearls falling again. And I, it, the, on my first viewing of that movie, I thought, how smart, showing the pearls falling and the opening credit sequence so we don't need to cover it later. Only then we go back to it later yes, because he absolutely. doesn't want you to forget. I think that Zack Snyder, though maybe not a dummy himself, I think he very much makes movies thinking, and this is a very kind thing of him to think, uh, is he does the opposite of uh, of that classic screenwriting tenet of treat your audience like geniuses. Uh, he treats his audiences like absolute dumbasses, uh, right. and his movies are very successful for that reason. I think. Right. So the farm is foreclosed. Um, there's a dog. I don't know if that dog is important, but there's a super dog, dog. John. There's super. Is that dog. crypto? Is that crypto the super dog? I mean, he's like a border collie, like crypto or whatever. Oh, I don't know. Man. I don't know dog breeds. Uh, what, what's funny? Comparing things that were different, we're seeing just how much was the same. Like Wonder Woman's intro is almost untouched up until the actual fight sequence. It is different in one way. There is still me. a reaction to terrorists, but someone says fuck. Oh, who? What? I missed the fuck? There's like a character in the background who's like, get on the fucking floor. Oh, I'm okay. British. Oh, I'm British. Get on the fucking floor. You gotta say it with, like, G's. Fucking, fucking. Get on the guffin floor, mate. Get on the guffin floor, mate. We're Before British. Before I box your ears in. We're reactionary terrorists, mate. We're gonna send this place back to the Dark Ages by blowing up a four-city block. Throw some kangaroos on the barbie. We're reactionary terrorists. It's this, like, weird liver. It's it's like a liver yeah. puddly in Australian. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I don't know what yeah, you're doing either. So, I, I mean, this is basically exactly the same, except she more uh, unquestionably vaporizes that guy when she kills him. <laughs> she kills well, yeah. him. I, I mean, the um, people... <laughs> There's a headline out there that 10% of the of the Snyder cut is slow mo, but he always uses slow motion in very interesting ways post 300. Uh, and 300, I think it was just gratuitous and uh, that was just his aesthetic. But the slow motion in this Wonder Woman scene just shows how fast she processes information and how 
just godly quick she is to be able to defend and take everyone out. She has less than 10 seconds to get that bomb out of there. And she takes out the entire group minus the ringleader, grabs the bomb and jumps up and throws it. Like she is amazing. Zack Snyder has done more to make Wonder Woman look awesome than any of her movies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I th- I think that the first Wonder Woman goes a long way, but this... As far as, like, Wonder Woman appearances go, this is a great one. Wonder Woman seems very uh, genuinely cool. Um, I will say this comes up a lot in this movie, but it's pretty gratuitous just as a movie. Because, like, everyone takes very long to make decisions. I swear that guy takes, like, ten seconds before he switches his MP5 from (laughs) semi-auto to to full auto. It's It's very strange how much time we spend in slow motion yeah it's it's silly everything is much much slower like you said like this is laborious movie movie showing it is laborious movie showing uh i did know i made a mental note of this to myself that wonder woman standing on the statue of justice uh had to be a Zack snyder thing and i'm glad to know that i was right Right, right. Um, the other great addition to the scene is after all of the chaos is done, she checks in on the hostages and she's like, it's over. You can stand up. It's okay. Stand up. It's fine. Are you all right? Are you okay? Come on. She like, even all- uses like a, like common parlance. She's like, is everyone okay? You're okay. Um, <laughs> and then that little girl's like, can I be like you one day? I'm like, well... The force required to punch a guy in the back to send him across the room flying into a almost certainly like severed his spinal cord and killed him. So you have to imagine she killed 10 people and this kid is like, can I be like you one day? And she's like, you can be anything you want. And this is where the riff tracks in me pops in and it's like, that girl grew up to be the fiercest dictator of all time. (laughs) That that girl killed. So what was the... No, I'm not going to give away Legend of Korra spoilers uh, when we're talking about <laughs> Justice League. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, that kid wants to kill, and Wonder that Woman wants is, to is kill. okay with it. And then uh, part one closes out with my favorite part of this whole movie, almost my favorite part, which is anything on Thermoscura. Yeah, Thermoscura is great as a set piece, as a setting, as a culture. They, the times in this movie where they show up are all bangers, and uh, I like Steppenwolf just showing up. <laughs> I thought we were going to get a scene on Apocalypse of him like being sent over and some exposition. No, why would I? Why would I think that he just shows up just like he did in the theatrical cut? Yeah, he just boom tubes in. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like we're going to talk about this less as time goes on thermoscure is great all those characters are incredible like it's insane that something like this typically doesn't exist in movies is just to have a society like the amazons who are all smart all brave all powerful uh it's great i i love thermoscure oh, i love the amazons right and to that end when when um steppenwolf has that line about like show you know you'll show me your fear and Queen Thermopolis, I don't know her name. Hippolyta. Uh, says, Hippolyta. 
Hippolyta says, Amazon, show, show them your fear. And they all scream, we have no fear. It's like, oh, my God. He gets it. Zack Snyder gets it. Yeah. Why would they be? They, they have no reason to be afraid. Why would they be afraid? They're the fiercest warriors on the planet. Yeah, they're, they're the fiercest warriors in the whole goddamn universe. Why would they be afraid of this guy? And like the. Okay. We'll break it down kind of piece by piece. First, Steppenwolf shows up. Uh, so, so spiky. What, yeah, one of the things we should talk about is the complete redesign of Steppenwolf, which I, from stills, did not like. But now, in motion, I actually love. I really do like the fact that his armor responds to his emotions. It's kind of adorable. <laughs> yeah, he's got, he gets spiky when he's mad. He gets uh, so spiky. I... My concern when I saw the stills is the original Steppenwolf looks really bad. He looks like the enemy from like an early PS4 game. Right. Uh, yeah. He, he has like weird skulls on his armor and he just looks terrible. This Steppenwolf uh, has multi-articulated spiky armor and a face that looks much definitively cuter. <laughs> it's rounder. It's softer. And when he emotes, which we'll get to later, you just empathize with him, which shouldn't happen. Yeah, he has like a softer jaw and he has more like like a soft almond shape to his eyes and he emotes way more and shows his teeth less, which is, I think from stills, it looks bad. But when you realize that Steppenwolf is just like a really sad guy who's had to conquer tens of thousands of planets for one fuck up, you're like, I kind of feel for Steppenwolf. I like that he's that it's it's why dogs have eyebrows. It's so you can empathize with them. I empathize way more with this Steppenwolf. And then this cut makes him out to be so much more menacing from the get go. Like he's fighting off just scores of Amazonians and, uh, and just with, with ease and like gripping them by their heads and tossing them. Like he's, he's menacing in a way that doesn't come from quips or, or bone, you know, blood chilling lines. Just his physicality is just off the charts menacing i mean he's unquestionably killing people and in this in the entire set piece in thermoskira it's so much clearer what's happening obviously they have the benefit of time this movie's four fucking hours long but it's so much clearer and more dynamic and more interesting what's happening like you can more easily trace where the mother box is at all times where hippolyta is at all times like it's it's way easy because in the theatrical cut it's like they lasso the box away from him and then they're on horses and then he yeah. like jumps and then they like lasso it away this the scene is like really horribly neutered in the version we got but this one's like this is awesome so I, and I, I really feel like as much as uh, um of of a of a joking point of of as much as slow motion is like uh, an easy joke to make with Snyder, we we can now compare the two scenes in full speed and in slow motion, and it's just much easier to follow, and you feel the weight of every action more so in, in the slow-mo version rather than the full speed version. Yeah, there's a lot of horse violence, though, which I don't stand by, but at right. least they're CG horses. And one thing that um, you can really feel the weight of in the Snyder cut 
And I, I think this is purposeful, but they seal that temple and it falls into the ocean and we linger on Hippotala looking down at the sea and just feeling the loss and the sacrifice and the, the, what the movie is saying, like, this is what it takes. This is the cost of standing up to this evil. There's going to be sacrifice. And the movie, the, this version of the movie allows us to, to focus on that and feel it and linger on it. And then it's all for nothing. Like then the rug gets pulled out from under him because he's free with his parademons and the chase is on. Like, but without that moment of just feeling that sacrifice, it's kind of like, okay, so even giving our all will not be enough. We need something more than heroic efforts to to defeat this particular brand of evil. Yeah, I mean, they they made it seem in the original version as if the the decision to summon Diana and to alert the worlds of men was like taken not lightly, but it wasn't as earned as it was in this one because they, they knew the sacrifice. They saw the sacrifice that was required. And then they knew that everything had to be rallied, had to be marshaled to stop Steppenwolf. So it was much, it was much cooler. I will say uh, this will start uh, an ongoing complaint. I have Steppenwolf said way less cool villain shit. That is that is a noticeable complaint that I have as well. Two of my favorite lines of Steppenwolves apparently were Joss Whedon ads, which not that surprising. Joss Whedon can write good villains and give them great dialogue. He's he's been good at that for his entire career. I mean, just he a made little... a real shit ass movie that's okay because it had a pretty good villain in it in in Ultron. <laughs> right, exactly. Like and, and like. The previous iteration of Steppenwolf had kind of an Ultron-y vibe, minus the pop culture references. But, you know, threatening through words rather than threatening through presence. And and while I do appreciate the physical prowess that this iteration of Steppenwolf brings to the movie, I do miss my axe is still wet with the blood of your sisters and... The, the the kind of quippy, why does everyone keep telling me they have families? I do miss those lines a little bit because they did add, they lent to his character. Yeah, but I mean, Zack Snyder's not about quips. His his, his characters would much rather get to the point, which is kind yeah. of a bummer when, when you particularly enjoy some of the things that, uh, yeah. that Steppenwolf has to say. And... Uh, You're right, and we'll get to more of those later. But for now, that wraps up part one of this four-hour-long movie. Um, Yeah, if you want to pause the podcast now to maybe go get a (laughs) snack, a dill pickle or something, feel free to do so. Yeah, uh, so when John and I watched this the second time, we watched it together, and we paused at each of the part breaks. And uh, I got to say, very enjoyable, probably more enjoyable than watching it all the way through in one sitting. Uh, this is a genuine thought that I have about movies, and I first thought I first had this when I watched. Don't do this. I don't stand for I for either of these movies and what they have to say, one hundred percent. But I watched Gone with the Wind and Doctor Zhivago back to back, and both of those have notable intermission sequences uh, because they're long movies. They're like three and a half hours long, and I think an intermission in a movie. Uh, 
uh, I don't know. I, I read about this concept of like diurnal sleep. Like as human beings, we were actually meant to sleep the majority at first and then wake up for about an hour or two and then like cap off our sleep with like one to two hours of sleep. Uh, I think that human beings just kind of need breaks from things and, and intermissions do make movies better. All right. That's a good theory. We'll have to test it uh, when Black Widow comes out. There you go. I mean, how many times have you sat there in the Alamo Draft House thinking, when, at what point in Detective Pikachu or the Rhythm Section or Bad Boys for Life am I going to be able to pee? Oh, no, I hold it the whole time. You're a braver man than I. No, I, I've been training my whole life. Uh, so. <laughs> His bladder's huge, folks. Part two, the age of heroes. Um, I don't even know where to start with part two. Uh, part two is my section with the least notes. There's just a lot going on. A lot of the thing, like a lot of carryover from the theatrical cut, um, but just done slower in a way that you understand. Like, okay, he picks Russia for his base because it's toxic and he likes it. Yeah, and of uh, course, they, we see the likable Russian family again, obviously. No. In both, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, no likable Russian family. Uh, uh, unbelievably, they actually managed to uh, show him landing in Russia and explain his reasoning for doing so in a scene that takes less time than Joss Whedon's explanation does. Yeah, it's amazing. And they even allude to his final motivation. He will be pleased with me and see me, you know, worthy again. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go to Star Labs. Yeah, we <laughs> let's go to Star Labs where uh, Victor Stone. Yes. Victor Stone and Silas Stone. Uh, way, way more fleshed out characters. I, there are. I'm going to say there are like two crimes of this movie. We'll get into the more important crime much, much later. But I think the biggest crime for the the theatrical cut is how it completely cut everything about Cyborg's character oh, out yeah. of the movie. They explained that uh, Victor Stone had been killed or seriously injured in an, ex an unexplained explosion that killed his mother, I think. Oh, no, it was a car crash. It was a car crash? Okay. I, I think I had in my notes that it was an explosion. But, like, nothing about that was explained. Silas Stone had nothing going on character-wise. Oh, you meant in the theatrical cut? Yeah, I think it was, like, a, a lab explosion. Yeah, in the theatrical cut, they were like, an explosion killed him and his mother. Bah. Uh, yeah. They they robbed the character of Cyborg yeah, like, he's, of he's everything. A He's a walking plot device in the theatrical cut. He's not even a character. And even the the first introduction with uh, with Silas talking to the janitor uh, isn't this massive vehicle for exposition being like, I'm sorry to hear about your son who was tragically killed in a lab explosion along with his mother. Sure hope you didn't bring him back to life. <laughs> Like the, the theatrical cut even skips over the important, huge revelation that Star Labs has been studying the Superman ship. Yeah, I think the Superman ship is like at Star Labs, but it's not talked about. I don't they know. Never, they never address it. They never introduce that as Star Labs. Yeah, they we just were, like go to the Superman ship in the theatrical cut. Also in the theatrical cut, the janitor gets killed 
And then we never go back to Star Labs. But in the Snyder Cut, we discover, oh, yeah, they're fucking investigating that death and that disappearance and, and the hole in the ceiling created by the parademon. Like, logically, it makes sense that they would investigate, but we didn't see that on the screen. Yeah, it's it's so <laughs> – this movie, for its faults, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is just so much more – invested in creating situations than anything we could have gotten in the theater for the demands that they had. Uh, and Star Labs has like characters and it has like mise-en-scene. Like it, it, Star Labs feels like a place and it has people doing things and protocols that you kind of believe. Yeah. I can appreciate that because it's very easy for a laboratory to just get thrown under the bus in a movie like this. It's almost as though Zack Snyder wanted this, all of the set pieces, characters, and all of this to feel like a comic book. Almost. (laughs) It's almost like he did that. Because it feels a lot like a comic book. You know... I actually hadn't considered that, but it it very much does because comic books don't go at at the pace of a movie. Comic books are pretty uh, glacial in their pace. Things take a while to happen for the most part. Yeah. And and you set up all these intermittent scenes that cut back and forth. Like we actually are introduced to Silas and the janitor and then the janitor dies. Then we we cut to the lighting of the beacon and their mascara, um, the sending off the arrow of Artemis to to light the beacons, and um, and then we get a scene of Diana seeing the beacon, and then we go back and they're investigating the Parademon attack at Star Labs, mm-hmm. and they introduce the Superman sh- ship. So it's like all of these parts that that are independent of each other, but interwoven with each other, and all moving forward toward a centralized moment. That's three hours out. <laughs> Oh, and this sets up one of the most notable things that this version of the movie does, which is Diana finds the, in the, what is it? The shrine to the Amazons or something. Uh, she finds the arrow and then like learns about the mother boxes. And I, yeah, I, I love this as an addition because the, the theatrical cut did a really lazy hand-waving way of like these three boxes have appeared in all of these different cultures. What does it mean? Whereas like, no, the Amazon safeguarded this knowledge in case it ever needed to be you know known. And they have this arrow that unlocks the door to the threat, like with the, the knowledge of what the threat is. And now Diana knows it. And now, she, now we see how she knows it and she's going to explain it later but like we get to see how she know- learns the knowledge first. That you don't see that in a movie. You only see it in the Snyder cut. It's great. I, I really like it. Um, I do want to add that Willem Dafoe was cut out of the movie. <laughs> I I don't know that Willem Dafoe. Do you mean he was cut out of the theatrical cut? He was cut out of the theatrical cut. I've got a list of people who were cut out of the movie. So um, my question is, was Willem Dafoe a reshoot? Because Aquaman came out two or three years after the theatrical cut and Willem Dafoe was cast as whatever the fuck character <laughs> he was. So was Willem Dafoe one of the limited reshoots for this? I'm not. It's, it seems to me like every every major character got to bring like 
themselves and like a couple of side characters to this movie. Um, but that's just that's just a weird thought I had. It, he could be a reshoot. He could not have been in the original cut. But I feel like we need that scene with Aquaman, like explaining that that he's still running away. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, 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 I Aquaman also got a lot mm. more. However, I I feel like Aquaman kind of sucks as a character, so I didn't like it as much. Um, but I don't know. Part two ends with uh, with Aquaman, I think. But I think the no, the, it doesn't. It, it does not. That's where my notes ended. My notes in part two end by saying Willem Dafoe. Uh, we get the entire flashback scene, John. Oh, right. Real the quick about Aquaman, though. <laughs> Real quick about Aquaman, though, and then you can go off about the Age of Heroes. Uh, no icky thump in this version. No slow mo chugging a bottle of Jack Daniels while icky thump plays. Instead. Zack Snyder very much doubles down on the mournful, strange feeling of this movie by having like a, a not a gospely, but a, a kind of religiousy, kind of low key song playing as waves are crashing over him, completely replacing what was in the theatrical cut. What felt like hell yeah, badass to drink and take your shirt off became <laughs> Aquaman is. A sad character. It, it's there's there's a lot to read into in that switch of music and, and framing, because a scene that was like, oh yeah, masculinity, chug a whiskey, throw the glass and break it, take your shirt off and jump into the ocean. You're a real man. Got turned into never before has anyone been this alone while. The lyrics are singing a kingdom without a a king without a kingdom, and he's literally a king who does not participate in his kingdom while being alone. And he gets he just disappears into the ocean. Like there's there's a lot to be read in that switch because I really feel like both scenes played next to each other are kind of saying the same thing. <laughs> They're kind of saying the same thing, but one doesn't really know what what it's saying. Yeah. Uh, whereas the other one uh, very much does. I mean, repeatedly, Arthur Curry uh, implies that he does not feel at home with people or with Atlanteans. He is very alone. Uh, he is he's not a happy man, but he puts on a brave face. Aquaman. Anyway, Age of Heroes. <laughs> the Age of Heroes is, is the explanation of the first time Darkseid came to the planet, which is a major shift. Oh, huge change. Why is that huge not in change. my notes? Huge change. And it also features um, things like uh, Robin Wright was cut from the theatrical version of the movie. Uh, the guy who played Ares in Wonder Woman was cut from the theatrical version of the movie. Yes, that's him. Really? It is his head. What's his name? David Thewlis? Yeah, something like that. It's his head on a CGI body. Uh, that's incredible. You would never recognize him. And of course, I did not also recognize him. An article confirmed it after I, I watched it. Um, but also, also, just all of the explanation that Darkseid got his ass kicked so hard <laughs> that he forgot where the Earth is, is pretty funny. Yeah, Darkseid, the, the Thanos of this universe, not a fair comparison given Darkseid's whole thing. Uh, but yeah, he he gets his shit kicked in so hard, he forgets that the anti-life equation is on Earth. Yeah. 
That's kind of silly. Dude. That's kind of silly. But I do like that it wasn't Steppenwolf the first time. I don't know. I you know this is a change I could go either way on. Um, but the the version of the the Age of Heroes fight in the Snyder Cut just to borrow a phrase I see on Twitter a lot whips so much ass. Oh yeah, it, it's so cool. It's, it's so cool. Okay, there's a lot of things that you could say about 300, such as it's not a very good movie, um, and also that it's kind of strange that someone basically chose to make a movie about the Spartans um, fighting like f- feminized men. I don't know. It's fine. You could read a lot into people who like 300 a lot. However, uh, man, Zack Snyder knows how to direct people with primitive weapons fighting in slow motion. It's very cool. It is so cool. Um, and brings and uh, just brings up a thing that kind of pervades throughout the movie is uh, Zack Snyder kind of has one rule about filmmaking, and that's the rule of cool. If it's cool, do it. If it's he's gonna do everything he does is done in the coolest way possible, or or, or is done in a way that emphasizes how cool it is. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and he, I don't know, his movies very much uh, are are filmed in a way that anyone can like them. And I I dare you to show that Age of Heroes flashback sequence to anyone. And then on pain of death, death, <laughs> ask them if it was cool or not. And they will yeah. have to say it is cool, because if they cool. lie, you will uh, kill them. Right. Kind of bullshit the dark side was defeated so hard, but whatever. I don't care. I'm not here for that. I'm not here as a comic book fan right now. I'm here to enjoy how cool that scene was. And like you cheer, you cheer for all these people defending Earth. It's it's a cheerful moment. And that's how part two ends. Part two, kind of a sleeper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Green Lantern Corps is there, or at least a Green Lantern. And that Green Lantern's yeah. got a fucked up face. Most of the Green Lanterns do. Yeah, he's got a name. Um, I forget. Beta it Ray Bill. That is a Marvel character, you asshole. Beta Ray Bill. I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't want to talk about Beta Ray Bill. He can lift Millionaire. Yeah, he's the world's most honorable space horse. Yeah, all right. Uh, part three is Beloved Mother, Beloved Son, and we get our first look at Ezra Miller's The Flash in an all-new scene. In a in a completely new scene where he's applying to be like a dog walker or a dog uh, tender. Uh, dog walker, yeah. Now, this is not one of the two crimes I say that this movie has committed, but it is definitely one of the misdemeanors uh, in that it's such a shame that they took these sequences from these characters, particularly Cyborg and Flash, that, like, established their, like, personalities and their whole deals so much better than we got in the theatrical cut. If this was the first scene of that we see Barry Allen in, in the theatrical cut, I would buy into his character so much more. He's obviously much younger, much more inexperienced, um, but you can see his heart is in the right place. And I w- 
And, and God is sort of, he's not socially awkward. He just speaks fast. Yeah, I mean, it, it sets up when he goes to touch the dog and the dog barks at him in slow motion. You're like, oh, the entire world is very slow to him. Right, yeah. He, he's, he's so like, in the theatrical cut, I like I wrote notes for like okay like this is interesting he's he's kind of I th- I you know he's on the spectrum a little bit was my interpretation um but in the Snyder cut it's like no he's just young he's just a kid and, yeah, and he, so you he's trying to get a, a shitty part-time job so he can fund his like law school education or yeah, criminal almost, justice education he almost has like a Spider-Man like quality in that like he he makes jokes and stuff because he's probably nervous. I mean, I think it goes to show the the quality uh or at least the benefit you get from certain kinds of storytelling because we actually unfortunately find out that most of the flashes or ba- Barry Allen's dialogue that we had problems with and assumed was a weed nat was actually 100% true to the original script. However, this was so weird. Yeah. With yeah. with that introductory scene, I was like, I get it. Like I yeah. went from hating that character feeling like it was like a, a totally unnecessary choice to make him speak and act in that way. And with one scene that lasts anywhere from five to 50 minutes, I don't really know with all the slow motion. Uh, <laughs> but with that yeah, one no. scene, I was like, I like his character. Even if all of his lines largely remained the same, I like this guy. Discovering that all of the Flash's lines were literally the same to me suggested that Joss Whedon read the script, saw Barry Allen being that quirky and and funny, and then said, all right, that's the bar. I need all of my characters to hit flash level of Uh. quirk and quip. Whereas, you know, without... So the Flash is definitely the quippiest character in the Snyder Cut, but with the context that he's a young kid with trying to get another job... But his heart is in the right place, and he's got these powers, and like his his shoes melt off his feet, like all, all of this other stuff. But then he he knows to grab the hot dog to calm the dogs down from the commotion that's about to happen, showing he's smart. Like all of that context from the first scene, it's like okay, he's earned the right to be this young, quippy kind of jokey character, and he's the only one. Yeah, context goes a long way because just in that one scene, like I like Ezra Miller as the flash. Whereas before I was very much on the fence about it. He's much better being the only one who's making these jokes. And at the same time, just the jokes don't take away from him wanting to save Iris West, who that that's who that was. His canonical wife. I've been told. Yeah. His canonical wife. Canon wife. Uh, Aunt to Wally West. Oh, the uh, the other Flash, the young, young Flash, right? Yes, exactly. Kid Flash and then later the Flash, yes. Look at me, I know things about DC. And what a cool way to break a window, folks. Oh, it's so cool. It's so well, cool. How are, how, are you gonna, how are you gonna see that done in CG and say, nope, I want to cut that out the movie? You can't. You can't cut the sequence out the movie. It's too cool. This is... This was never uttered in watching the theatrical cut, but both me and Allison, we were watching the uh, the Snyder cut the first time through. Uh, both of us, when we saw that happened, uh, we didn't look at each other or anything, but we both said at the same time, cool. 
cool. He it's just cool. pokes his finger out and the window breaks around it because he's running so quickly. Oh, man, it's so cool. Yeah, he'd probably hurt himself. He'd get in his eyes if he didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. He, and he, yeah, he knew to do that, too, because probably he's done that before and it hurt. Yeah, it's such a good character. I think part three is actually very heavy on uh, on two characters uh, that I think receive much better treatment in this. The Flash and obviously, as I said before, Cyborg. Right. So part three, Beloved Mother, Beloved Son, is when we get introduced to our new heroes who actually have more of the human component of superheroes. Um, I don't feel as though the Flash and Cyborg are treated as gods in this movie or godlike. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. I think that they are treated in a much more human way, especially when they interact with each other. Yeah, which is they they have phenomenal chemistry together. It's it's great. Um, we do get a scene of of our good friend Steppenwolf, um, mind crabbing a a guy for intel, which explains how the fuck he knew where the Atlantean mother box was, which was great. Nice that that was explained. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just like. All of the questions that okay, most of the questions I had in the theatrical cut were, were answered with a literal scene saying, "Yeah, this is how that happened," and, and yeah. this is one instance of that. I do want to back up a tiny bit because I just have a funny little thing. Uh, back in part two, Steppenwolf has a friend. He makes a phone call. Yeah, he makes a he makes a little phone call to t- uh, Desad. Yeah, to Desad. This is neat. It's neat to see him get a phone call. Also, that scene is where we learn he has to do. He has to get fifty thousand conquer fifty thousand more worlds, and uh, we see the saddest face <laughs> in comic book cinema history. He yeah. looks like a sad puppy. Yeah, we see sad Steppenwolf puppy face, and you're like, "Oh, poor guy." Like th- that right. is the that is the first instance of you feeling genuinely very bad for soft face Steppenwolf. Yeah, I like. I didn't even like. Th- it took an entire movie to sort of sympathize the Joker a little bit. <laughs> I felt I felt sympathy for Steppenwolf in one phone call. Yeah. It's uh I mean, who hasn't been there where you have one really disappointing phone call? <laughs> All it takes is one bad phone call. <laughs> I would watch, I would so watch the Joker, but it's all Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf in like a little suit dancing to Gary Glitter on those steps in Harlem. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Meanwhile, in part three, Lois Lane's in the movie, everyone. Let's give it up for Lois Lane. She's sad. Let's give it up for Lois Lane, a character who, uh, for all due credit to Zack Snyder, actually has emotional breadth. And depth in this movie, whereas in the Joss Whedon version, she was literally just used to move the plot along uh, and at one point was literally used by a character to solve a conflict. Uh, Lois Lane has her whole thing going on. She's got motivations. She's extremely, extremely sad. It's nice to see a character like so strongly mourning Superman because that's a thing that we did not get in the original movie. Right. Given what's come out in recent days about a certain director, um, I'm just going to say the following sentence. Leave it to to Joss Whedon to cut all of the female emotions out of a movie. 
I mean, it's it's no big deal, but he did write a show that a lot of people seemed to like where uh, one character was a domineering weirdo who one female character was a dominating domineering weirdo uh, and one female character uh, lived in a suitcase. Yeah. Um, just just odd that he would take a, a, a character who is a woman and get rid of all of her emotions for the death of her fiance and have her complain about a, a, another reporter trying to steal her leads. How can we make this woman a vindictive tool? Yeah. Um, not saying that I, you know, not saying one ver- character, one version of the character is better than the other. Just saying the more re- realistic one the one mourning the death of her fiance uh, plays a little better. Yeah, it, it definitely plays better. I, there's so much, there's so much cool storytelling in that Lois Lane sequence because you see her rest her, her coffee cup on the police barricade. You see the ring on her finger because she said yes to, Oh yeah. To Clark's missed, proposal. But I she also, it. she, she walks through, for there, there's like a there's a memorial to the people who were killed during the events of uh, Man of Steel, I think probably. Yeah, never seen Man of Steel, uh, but there's good. like a memorial to people. But she walks through like clearly, she has walked this path so many times that she has worn a desire line through the memorial objects and the flowers. Like if there's one there, she's probably like had to move it. And she's done this so many times that like the path she walks th- is through this perfect little gap in this like massive mm-hmm. wall of like memorial tokens for these Flowers people who died. And... So she does this every day. Yes. And, and he's great. Yeah, the cop, yeah. The cop says you don't miss a day. Do you? And she's like, no, it's just great. It's just Anyways, great. This was the scene where she folds the Cape. So whoops. Oh, was it? Yeah, we we missed the, the other Lois Lane earlier. thing was earlier. Uh, my yeah, notes are bad. Leave it to two men on a podcast to almost leave out Lois Lane. <laughs> Listen, I'm just saying she's a tool. <laughs> no, she's not a tool in this version, right? Bring out the big guns. Speaking of the big guns, uh, it's time for Cyborg's backstory, and boy, is it good. <laughs> boy, is it sad. I like that we get to see him playing football because he's canonically always played football. It's what he's most interested in. I listen. Fuck Wisconsin. <laughs> I uh, don't watch a lot of football. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'm, it's just not my sport. But if all football was filmed at night in the snow and slow, oh, yeah. I'd be way more interested in it. Though those games would take forever. Let me tell you about the halftime. Wah, 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 wee, wah. Yay, yay. I just want to say for the record, uh, I am I pride myself on my attention to detail. I mention it in interviews all the time. And I miss the fact that Lois Lane was wearing a wedding ring, which is front and center for a good 20 seconds and a, a shot framed around the ring. But I caught that GCU was playing Wisconsin. <laughs> Incredible. Just incredible. Uh, anyway, I was really happy to see Victor Stone's mom. 
Yeah, Victor Stone's mom, who is uh, definitively a doctor. And, and super supportive of him, which is mm-hmm. great. But, like, so much in, in like, the, the, the Silas and Victor dynamic in comic books, we explore the father-son dynamic where the father wasn't there to support his son and all that. We rarely ever get the touch on his mom. Mm-hmm. Because she died off screen or in in the backstory or what have you. It's really good to see her being supportive and be a character. I mean, I I think that she's great because everything – I think that the dynamic they set up is really interesting and good because she has similar obligations to Silas and she can still make time for her son, uh, both advocating for him. Uh, at the principal's office or whatever, and going to his game, uh, whereas his father is not seemingly like present in his life whatsoever for his uh, for his highs or his lows. Right, exactly. Like we see his mom, you know, supporting him, speaking to his character, calling out the university for not being there for a student in need, like all of the things that good moms do. And then she's there in the student section. Like rallying, you know, in support for for football stuff, and like that's awesome. And then she dies in a car accident. It's really tragic, and Victor gets uh, oh, a big old big old body, big old. I say big old. I'm thinking of his comic book counterpart, a slim, weirdly angular body. Yeah, he gets a he gets a slim he gets a slim slim body. Uh I don't know, dude. I, I was so concerned. I was so fucked up from remembering that Joss Whedon's thing was saying that his mom died in an explosion. Yeah. That when it went down to the empty seat next to her where his father should have been, I didn't read that as absent father. Or that is, is that where the bomb is? Is this going to be a terrorist attack? <laughs> uh, oh, you know, the sad part is, the really sad part is, I thought the same thing. I was like, holy fuck, is this when Bane blows up a football stadium? <laughs> Except it's like a high school football game or something. Right. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. It's like, is this... <laughs> It would have, wouldn't have made any sense. But I was also looking for an explosion. Um, and I thought, wow, what a weird choice to explode a, a high school football game or whatever. Yeah, or I was college like, this, football is a, game. this is a real no Russian situation in this Justice League movie. I I don't know that I can co-sign the, the theme, but it was a car crash. So that's fine. It was, yeah, it was a car crash. It was a car crash. And look, Victor cried. And, you know, I understand can we just talk about how good Ray Fisher is? Yeah, Ray Fisher is phenomenal. Compared to the theatrical cut, Ray F- and like he Ray Fisher actually absolutely brought it in the theatrical cut for sure with what what remained of his part. But what I thought was him bringing it in the theatrical cut, he acts circles around some of the people in this movie. He he is phenomenal. Yeah, he he acts his ass off, even when he's, like, creating digital money out of nowhere. Oh, that's... Okay, so I did... Him learning his powers with a voice recorder montage. Cool! Rule of cool in action! That is the coolest way to show somebody learning his powers. And that that scene with him adding money digitally to, like, a a thing, and we see that, like, the cut of of that woman's life and all of she's going through, and then him giving her money, it's like, that's all I would do, man. I would just all I would do is give people money. 
All I would do is give hundred grands to people who need. I mean, same here. I think that this is like a perfect example of like the Zack Snyder thing, where when explaining Victor's powers, uh, Cyborg's powers, uh, it is not enough to just say what they could be. There is a strong visual representation of every single thing that Silas says that Victor can do. He's like, you can command the world's nuclear arsenal. Thousands of nuclear weapons appear. You can control the stock market. Big bronze bull and bear <laughs> fighting. Like, it's highly, highly literal. Once again, Zack Snyder plays to the cheap seats, and I don't hate it. It's great. It's spectacle for the sake of spectacle, but also tying into the the movie. I don't know. That's that montage was really really awesome. And then I, I wrote the note. Uh, Cyborg smashed the voice recorder before his dad could dad. I mean, it, it's I liked that because I knew immediately what was going to happen once he said he was going to speak to him as a father. Yeah. Because that's their thing. The trust needs to be built over time. There's a parademon outside the window. There's a parent demon inside the house. <laughs> oh, that was... Oh, okay, hold on. Slow clap. Bravo. That was great. <laughs> Thank you for the slow-mo clap. Uh, Billy Crudup didn't get cut out of the movie. No, he's absolutely 100% in this movie for longer and says what ends up being a series of much more important lines. It's great because at first, uh, you know, as Ezra Miller, no, Barry Allen literally says, never tell me that again. And then like the explanation of why his dad said that rings in like one of the climactic moments of the movie. So it's yeah. like, never tell me that again. But then like, then he literally remembers what his dad said later. It's great. It's so good. Uh, maybe what humanizes these people is their parents, much in the way that Martha humanizes Superman. Eh? Yeah. Eh? yeah. Eh? Parents are, parents are what humanizes us all, I guess. I guess. Uh, all for some humans reason, have I just, parents. I just had the note incredibly violent in part three, and I don't know what I was referring to there. Yeah, I don't know, because the next thing that happens is uh, um, Bruce Wayne visits Barry Allen in his lair, and that scene is 100%, sorry, misspoke, 98% unchanged. Yeah, almost completely the same, other than the fact that the Flash stays in slow-mo for even longer. He stays in slow-mo and shoots a look like, this motherfucker's Batman? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Because seeing the the dawning realization is definitely enjoyable. Yeah. But other than that, everything unchanged other than when they're pulling away. I did not – I kind of – I don't care enough to do this. But as they drive away in that that, – what's the car with the three spokes? Is that a Mercedes? Yeah, it's a Mercedes. It's some futuristic Mercedes concept car garbage. Yeah. As they pull onto the on-ramp in that Mercedes, there's a billboard in shot. And in the Snyder Cut, it is um, – it's a, it's a, it says, you are not alone. It's a, it's a suicide prevention billboard. And I want to know if that's the same in the theatrical cut. I really I, – I don't feel like it is. I feel like in the theatrical cut for all they did – it's probably like an ad for like Zaxby's or something. Yeah. Which I don't know. This has been rattling around in my head for a long time. And I don't know. Don't ask me to explain it. 
But I feel like of all the chicken restaurants, Zaxby's voted for Trump. Like I said, you can't ask me to explain it. <laughs> what? You, you can't, like I said, don't ask me to explain it. But I feel like of all the of all the chicken restaurants, I feel like Zaxby's voted for Trump. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks for sharing. I'm just saying, in all likelihood, it's the feeling I get. Oh, oh, anyway, there's a great scene. Diana's going to make tea. All right. This is uh-huh. great. This is how you write humor in these movies. Wonder Woman is going to make tea and Alfred is present. And uh, she keeps offering Alfred tea and he keeps saying no, but then correcting the way she's making the tea because he's always made the tea in that house. He's the only one who's ever made tea in that house and so he feels the need to to help her out and it's just hilarious and then later on she gets distracted with trying to track down cyborg he's finishing making the tea for her (laughs) that's what i love about the alfred in this movie is he's extremely smart he talks back he can develop like technology like gauntlets that dissipate kinetic and like Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the gauntlets are real cool. Like heat and kinetic, I guess, I don't know, is heat energy, kinetic energy? I don't know. But they dissipate kinetic energy. He's very smart. He's like Q uh, from from James Bond. Uh, but he is also extremely good at, like, doing the washing up. Like, he's... Yeah. You, you write an Alfred that's intensely competent but also just it really loves being a butler. I mean, that's how you do it. Yeah, he's got more love for the family than anything else, and he's so competent. Look, this is a guy, and one spinoff, one-off, fought, I think he fought the Predator or fought an alien? He fought an alien once from, from you know, James Cameron's Alien series. What? Ridley Scott's? I mean, yeah, I know, but the, the what you're telling me... One of those two. What you're telling me is Did insane. they both direct one? What, Alien? Yeah, did they both direct one of these? Uh, James Cameron did not direct an Alien movie. Wow. He directed yeah. The Abyss, which has aliens, and uh, Avatar, okay, no, which no. has aliens. Right, yeah. Ridley Scott's Alien. Jesus. Wow, I'm going to eat it. Yeah, no, he fought, a, he fought an alien. Anyway... Uh, that's uh, send me a, send me a link to that comic book. Um, uh, sure, sure. Uh, so the scene between Cyborg and Diana is completely different and so much fucking better. <laughs> oh no, it's 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 so much better. Also, he says a cuss. Uh, fuck but, the world. Fuck the world. But fuck when he, the world. Even the even how she found him is so drastically changed because there were like seven screens of weird hackery dialogue where he's like, who are you? Do you want to see me? Are you sure? Whereas in this one, it's like meet here now and they meet and they have this, like, I feel like in the original cut of this movie, they didn't at all have this like dynamic between Diana and Victor, where she's like trying to coax him back into the world of the living because she's someone who, like, by dint of having the powers she had, felt like isolated and alienated from people 
and has lost things and wants him to return because she knows how good it can be. I don't feel like that existed in the theatrical cut at all. Yeah, no, his, again, his character is barely present. They do have a scene together, but all it is is him saying like, I'm going to track where there's no internet and I'll let you know. And then she, she says you can do more or whatever, but like, that feels kind of half-assed where like the full-assed version is him saying, I'm not helping anyone who isn't me or someone I find. And Diana saying, look, I lost somebody twice and oh, he was in a weird body the second time. And I don't yeah, want to talk in a about weird it. body. And then we saw him in the weird body for like one scene, but then it just changed. I really over. just don't want to talk about it. Um, also um, there was a, there was a cheetah. But There's that's, a cheetah. again, not really here nor there. All yeah, it's really kind of complicated. Say, yeah. I, suffice it to say I renounce my wish. Right. And you need to renounce your wish, too. <laughs> yeah, renounce your wish. Lasso of Hestia. Um, anyway, 1980s. <laughs> the 80s were a crazy time. Wah, 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 wah. And a cyborg listened to your commentary of... Uh, uh, I don't know if you mentioned this in the last episode, but apparently to hide the mother box, all you got to do is bury it three inches deep in dirt. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. That is all you need to do. Uh, it worked twice, so why not? Yep. J.K. Simmons not cut from the movie. <laughs> J.K. Simmons not cut. Now, where did you land on the eighty-yard lines? I know that we had a oh, he, he, we had he, a J.K. A- Simmons uh, theory. I had a theory that um, there are two – so in the theatrical cut, J.K. Simmons shows up in like a total of three scenes, police precinct, uh, on the roof of the police precinct, and then at the aftermath of the, the Gotham Harbor incident. And um, in two of those scenes, he's got lines where he's not facing the camera and he, he they're both jokes. And then the Snyder cut – Jim Gordon has two scenes at the police precinct and on the roof, and he does not have any AD. He does not have any lines that he's not on screen. So they, those two jokes were absolutely ADR'd. God damn it! You were right. Yeah, and it felt like it felt like they were ADR'd. And uh, for those of you who don't know, ADR refer is an industry term that refers to lines added after recording has wrapped. That are they're added um, from a voice booth. They're recorded after the fact and then added, spliced in digitally later. Yeah, I, I think that uh, yeah, we've said that that term quite a few times. Uh, I do like that uh, Crispus is in this movie. What an incredible! <laughs> so I watched this movie uh, with subtitles on, and when I watched, that's how you knew his name that's I watched the theatrical cut with subtitles on and I knew his name was Crispus I was like what a weird name uh, and then later when I watched Justice League I had forgotten that and obviously the subtitles were off and I thought are you calling that guy Christmas is his name <laughs> Christmas Merry Christmas um here's a complaint that I have about the script of this movie I feel like the the drawing looking like Batman thing is unnecessary I don't <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, all it does is serve to show where the the kidnappings kidnappers were taking the 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 um the kidnappees. Uh, but how does how do the police know that? 
Yeah, I I don't know. And, I, and then they said, I thought, like, I oh, thought that line. could have been cut, Mister Snyder. Yeah, yeah. they said like the lines don't converge, and they're like on land. But look at that island, Striker Island. Is like, but isn't an island also land? Yeah, this it doesn't converge on land; it just converges on an island, kind of like. Well, every continent's kind of a big island. Um, <laughs> I, like, so... It would have made more sense if, like, weird, they converge in the harbor. That makes no sense. Like, oh, they're air ducts for a fucking pipe. I don't fucking know. I'm the Batman. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a moment, not to get into part four, I don't know if we're getting into part four tonight, where they, like, land in Stryker's Island or whatever, and Batman's like, where are we all from? Like, you just said! <laughs> you just what? said where you were going. Uh, before we we can do that. So they all race off to the harbor, but then we cut to Atlantis. Yes, we do cut to Atlantis. I totally, uh, I don't know why, but it seems like every like major moment in this movie is completely missing from my notes. I think I was just spellbound. You could have been, um, but we cut to Atlantis for the mother box fight and it's, it's largely changed. I will say it's not just a simple Steppenwolf shows up, Stephen, Stephen Wolf shows up. Yeah. Stephen Wolf. And, and, uh, dispatches like three guards and takes the box. Instead, uh, Mara is there and she does the darkest shit I've ever fucking seen. Uh, so, uh, quick quick thing about the atlanteans so i they talk about them not breathing air but like they constantly create bubbles to talk in that's fine uh that power extends to i guess just a control over the flow of water such that you can suck the water and blood out of steppenwolf's face i don't know how the magic works but like yeah she totally starts draining blood from his face which he then notices and then is like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, he does not like it. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine like when Steppenwolf got like got home from that fight? He was just like chugging bottles of Dasani. <laughs> he was so dehydrated. I, I think like he chugged like a whole gallon of distilled water and then he like reached for the beer. He's like these earthlings this bitch just tried to take the blood from my face (laughs) i need a drink i I, mean i I didn't lose a lot of blood but it was pulled directly from my face and the coolest addition to this this underwater scene is that aquaman shows up to the fight yeah completely absent from the theatrical cut showing his showing his increased like uh presence and desire to interfere with the realm of men and atlanteans like his his increased desire to what's the word i'm looking for uh responsibility like he starts to feel the responsibility to the world and the weight of his own power which is a thing you don't get in the movie at all he's got that scene with falcor setting up that hey look the mother box is, is needs to be protected and so that sets him up to like, all right, well, if something happens, maybe I'll rush over. And then he rushes over and he gets his ass kicked by himself. Mm-hmm. And that leads his motivation to change to be like, oh, I just got my ass kicked. I need to team up. Yeah. 
Like, he, like it he makes sees, perfect sense why he changes his mind now. He sees the threat for the first time. It makes total sense. These characters have so much more going on in this version of the movie. They do. They, they're just, they're it's much just ludicrous. They're, their motivations are a little more complex, or, or not even complex, just clearer. We understand where they're coming from more because we literally see every little moment that shapes their decisions. Yeah. It, I don't, when you have four hours, when you have a, when you have this embarrassment of time, it's so much easier to like tell. I don't know. I can't imagine a version of this movie that isn't at least four hours long. Like it's, well, maybe three and a half. I can yeah, imagine he, maybe three and a half. You could cut it down a little, um, shorten some of these lingering shots, cut down on some of the establishing shots just a little bit. You could probably hit 330 pretty easily. Uh, but if you're going to go to 330, it might as well go to four. Yeah. I mean, uh, how long was uh, was Endgame? Uh, three hours, I think. See? Might as well yeah. go to four. Might as well go to four. We need a whole epilogue in Endgame about how Ant-Man uh, has a bad dream. <laughs> we can't get into it. I uh... right. So uh, the, the last thing about part three is a, a cool addition. Um, each cube that Steppenwolf adds to his cell phone um, unlocks a new feature for the yeah. stronghold he's building. And that's just that's a neat touch. That's cool. It's just a new app. The first one gave him wiggly worms. The second one gave him giant nut shield. <laughs> yeah. Um, or brain shield, I guess. Yeah. It gives him like weird brain shield, you know, normal stuff. And that that's, that's about halfway through the Snyder cut, John. Um, Here's the it's here's the problem. It's not halfway through the Snyder Cut because by the end of part three, we have to give you a preview. We have the interminable part four, probably my least favorite part of the movie. Uh, the rather long part five, the extremely long part six, and then the secret final part, which we will have a disgusting amount to say about. So what do we do? I mean, I cannot keep going. I okay, okay. I I I cannot. This I'm is... starting to feel myself getting tired and angry, which happens to every thirty year old after nine p.m. I mean, this. So for one, this the time we've been recording has just flown by, much yeah. like watching the Snyder Cut. We have almost um, been recording for as much time has passed from watching the Snyder Cut at this point. The, the crazy thing is we've done a, a few unprecedented things thus far. Um, one, we're walking through this movie point by point, which we we've, we've, we rarely ever do anymore. I hope it is adding value to people's experience of the Snyder Cut. Um, but that's going to lead us into to the second unprecedented thing on this podcast. We're going to split a supplemental reading into two episodes. I think... It warrants it. This is the only cinematic thing that has happened this year. I think I think our our listeners, I think our fans haven't had as many supplemental readings lately as they're accustomed to. So splitting this into two parts seems like a good way to wring some extra value out of it to suck some extra blood from its face. 
Yeah, we're going to take that blood. We're going to replenish ourselves. And next week, we're going to hit parts four through epilogue real hard and hopefully get through all of it. I have major, major thoughts about the ending. We might, um, even splitting this into two parts, I can see. I mean, we've already gone long this episode, but I can see the next episode going similarly long, if not longer. Uh, because we have to get through the epilogue, which is very pregnant it's it's a it's a pregnant concept plus we have to actually figure out if this was a good movie or not which is no small feat i know which might look we've got a lot to tackle uh thus far i will say the parts we have watched we watched all the parts the parts we have covered i have thoroughly enjoyed i feel like the ending result the the end conclusion of whether or not this is a good movie is gonna be a knockout drag down fight Wait, what? That's knockout, drag out. We're gonna fight, John. We're we're gonna fight about whether or not this is a good movie. I can pretty much guarantee it because going into parts four, five, six, and epilogue, we enter into my least favorite parts of the movie. Uh, so I will have a lot to say. Well, I'm, I'm I look forward to hearing it, but for now. I hope you've enjoyed this coverage of the prologue and the first three parts of the Snyder Cut. Uh, if you have, please let us know. Here's a couple of ways you can get in touch with us. Uh, you can send us a tweet at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. And uh, John has the uh, John cut of what that stands for. Fuck the world. Fuck That's the one. world. Ooh, two, two of them. I shouldn't have cut them off. I should have known it would have been overly long. Uh, you can also send us an overly Fuck. long email. The world. An overly long email to email at zerocredits.net, um, and we will definitely uh, read and respond to your email. If you've got points to make, make them. We, we're here for that conversation. Uh, by the way, uh, if you ever want to visit our podcast, all you got to do is go to zerocredits.net. And you can get to a website that has our podcast on it. That's right. We have a website. We are on Spotify. You can find us by, do we have to do the zero credits, parentheses, open S, close parentheses? I think you do. I think you do have to do that. I don't know. We're on Spotify. You can listen to us on Spotify. We're also on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And all it does is help the podcast out. We get to hear more of your thoughts and we get more people to listen to our thoughts. Uh, But the most important thing you can do much like the Snyder cut, start a social media trend. Tell people about our podcast. Word of the mouth is the only way we can survive a car crash and be resurrected with weird alien powers so that we too can give random people $100,000. And if I was brought back from the life of a cyborg, nope, you know, never mind. And from everyone here, uh, do we do that on something? I have no idea. I'm so thrown by this being two parts, I don't even know how to sign off. I mean, I'm just signing off as normal because I this is unprecedented. And, you know, these are uncertain times. Ooh, I've never been able to do one of these before. 
Uh, and join us next week for the exciting conclusion of the Zero Credits supplemental reading of 2020, 2015, 2021's uh, Justice League, directed by Zack Snyder. Uh, we are excited to deliver it to you. Started real strong, ended pretty, pretty weak. But we'll see you. Uh, goodbye and hang on. Goodbye and hang on to your butts. Yeah, because everyone in the Snyder Cut has a butt. I get it. <laughs> There's one person who doesn't have a butt. Oh, who is it? Uh, 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 cut, cut the mic. <laughs> cut the mic, I don't have any. <laughs>